Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get going, I want to take a moment to tell you about some exciting news for high school sports fans across the country. SB Live Sports has launched a free iPhone and Android app featuring the latest high school sports news, scores, videos, polls, photos, podcasts, player rankings, and much more. With the SB Live Sports app, it is now even easier to follow your favorite team. With real-time scores and news alerts, as well as video highlights, podcasts, photo galleries, rankings, game coverage, and much more, the app delivers all the content you want in one convenient place. The SB Live Sports app features exclusive content from on-the-ground reporters across the country, and it's the number one source for Washington high school sports fans. With coverage from reporters Todd Mellis and Andy Bueller, me, Dan Dickow, SB Live's recruiting expert, this SB Live Sports app is available at no charge in the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. Download it today. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. It was neat to see you play, and it's fun to talk to you all these years later because you played with a lot of joy and you played with passion. And I've seen Dan Dicko hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. Well, you know, I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. I think there were a lot of kids who looked at Dan Dickow and said, Dan Dickow can play at this level, I can play at this level. We continue on with the ISO in our March Madness Rewind series where we celebrate the month of March and college basketball and all the craziness and excitement that it brings. Today's re-release, Boise State head coach Leon Rice. Boise State is playing in the NIT in Dallas. They had a 18-8 record this season, which was good for fourth in the Mountain West. They got off to a tremendous start uh, after losing their first game of the year against a really good Houston team who is top 10 in the country. Then they ripped off a double-digit winning streak, longest in school history. Leon Rice became the winningest coach in Boise State history this season as they uh, put together a nice year. Unfortunately, they struggled at the end of the year. A lot of it was due to injuries. Um, one of their best, most versatile players, Abu Kijab, uh, ended up hurting his shoulder second to last game of the year, which really impacted uh, them not only in the loss to end the regular season against Fresno, but also unfortunately for Broncos in the Mountain West quarterfinals where Nevada beat them. So uh, finished off the season with four losses in a row, but still had a chance as they were on the bubble, didn't make the NCAA tournament but were invited to the NIT where they look forward to getting that tournament kicked off this week as well. So without further ado, my conversation with Leon Rice from last summer. This is the ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network. We've got a great guest today, someone who I've known for a number of years since my college time at Gonzaga, a coach that 
I, I feel doesn't get the credit nationally for what he's done in the Mountain West Conference. Uh, the longest tenured coach in the Mountain West Conference. Um, many years, 20-plus wins, NCAA tournament appearances in Boise for the Boise State Broncos. One of the funniest head coaches you will also meet, Leon Rice. How you doing today, uh, Leon? Thanks for that nice introduction, Dan. I appreciate it. Uh, uh, you know, I've been fortunate to find a job that really, really fit me. And, and um, you know, we had a great run of assistants, great run of, of players. And, and, you know, I think we've got uh, maybe some of our brightest stars coming up. You know, some we got some great guys in this program that, I think people are going to really like watching and, and some teams coming up that, that people are going to be excited about. Well, before we talk about kind of your journey in the coaching pad, I want to stay on that topic of your current team and, and where uh, you guys develop. And I think you guys develop from within maybe as well as anybody in the country. I think a couple things, a couple reasons that is, is you and your staff evaluate players much differently maybe than other programs. But then when they get on campus, um, you guys have a great player development program. Uh, you, you've got guys such as Derek Marks, who was a player of the year in the Mountain West Conference, that were maybe overlooked by other programs. And the most recent examples would be Chandler Hutchinson, who's with the Bulls in the NBA now. Uh, Justinian Jessup, who I think has a chance uh, to find a way onto an NBA roster at some point. And then Derek Alston Jr., uh, who averaged – not even a point a game as a freshman, and then as a, as a junior, average over 20 a game. Touch on how you evaluate for your program and then develop players during their time in Boise. Well, I think, it, you know, it starts with this day and age. I think it really starts with the family and, and make sure that they have a real understanding of what development takes and how it, it's a long-term process. And, you know, it's just, you know, they – I think some kids and some people think that they can get to a college program and, and wave a magic wand and it's done in a day. And, you know, um, it's that day in and day out hard work. I mean, I use your story as an example to my players all the time about it was a grind in that red shirt year. You, you would come in and you would grab me out of my cubicle. It was a cubicle back then. And, uh, hey, let's go get some more shots up. Let's go get some more shots up. Let's go get, you know, you took ownership of your own, uh, of your own career and, and you put in the work. And, and that's what these guys understand, that there, there's going to be no development if you're not willing to put in the work at an extreme level. And, <clears throat> you know, then the time that it takes. And so I want families to understand that, that, you know, in the first the first sign of adversity aren't willing, you know, they don't just jump and leave and go to, you know, and transfer. They're in for the long haul because that's what it's going to take. And and you look at all those examples, Chandler Hutchinson, I mean, he just got his butt kicked every day by Anthony Drimmick. And he hung in there and he fought and he got better and he got better and he learned how to be tougher. And, uh, you know, he came out of Orange County and people always told me like, oh, you can't take him. He's soft, he's soft, he's soft, you know. And kind of had that reputation, but he when he left here, he was anything but soft. He, he's unbreakable. I mean, that kid was as tough as you could as you could get. And but it took time, and it took time for him to kind of break through that reputation. And so each one of our guys that has the development story has the, that kind of story and that kind of you know when they get to that point of enlightenment of 
man, I got to take it on myself. I got to work extra hard. I got to be committed at a whole nother level. When they do that and light comes on, you know, with the kind of guys that we get, we get those guys that have the talent and the upside and, and maybe just need that time. Well, you know, and different guys take different amount of time to get to that. And so when they do, then something special can happen. And that's what you've seen with all those guys. And then the kids that we've got coming in now, they, their families understand that, that it, it might not happen in the first year. It might not happen in the second year. All of a sudden, you know, you just don't know with each kid how what, what their time frame will be. But we got a bunch of kids that want long-term plans for their development. And, and, I, and because of that, I think we're going to have some great things happen here with those guys. Yeah, I've, uh, in my broadcasting work, I've been able to see many of your practices, shoot-arounds, and games. Uh, and I've seen the development over those, those couple yeah. of years with those players, and it's been impressive. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the continued growth of your program uh, because I, I do think the Mountain West is a, is a, is a conference that had a couple years where there was a little bit of bumpiness. San Diego State and Nevada kind of dominated the league. But now I think it's back on a positive trajectory where there's some really good programs. Yourself, Utah State, I would include in that mix. Um, it's very, very good on the West Coast. Um, but we talked about player development right there. What about coaching development? Because I think for any successful coach, there's bumps and in, in, in bruises along the road of finding your path as a coach with your philosophy you want to build and play to the culture that you want to develop. How was your coaching path and how did you build your philosophy? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. And that, you know, I, I, I know that these kind of questions I could go on for an hour about all of that. But I was fortunate. I was with a lot of great mentors. So first of all, you know, getting yourself some mentors that, that can really help you and, and help you form your philosophies. And, and I had some good ones over the years and was pretty fortunate. And then, you know, I was in... Uh, I'm not going to say I was in at the ground floor of Gonzaga, but I got in, you know, uh, at a great time when Mark was just starting out as a head coach. And so we got to form our, our things together a little bit, him as a head coach and, and uh, me helping build a program like that. And so, uh, you know, like you said, we had to go through it. We had to go through tough times and Dan Dickow gets hurt and that kind of, uh, I remember that as a tough time and uh, I've got a lot of great stories about that along the way, but um, you know, and then, but then I always had my own, you know, my own spin on things and what I wanted and um, not, I think Mark and I are really, really like-minded in a lot of ways for sure. It wasn't like, you know, I had to reinvent the wheel. I, I we, we had done all those things at Gonzaga and that was the great thing when you say development of players, but development of coaches, being at Gonzaga, we had ownership. We got to coach. We got to do scout, you know, I mean, everything. And so when I took a head coaching job, it was a turnkey operation. And you can't say that about a lot of places. They don't let assistants do what we got to do at Gonzaga. Mark just, you know, he, that's the way he was. And, and that's the way I am here at Boise. And I think it helped a lot of other coaches you know, we've got, I've gotten two coaches that moved on to Mountain West jobs. I've gotten, you know, a bunch of coaches that, you know, like five or six coaches that went on to head coaching jobs from Boise State being here. But I think a big part of that is, is I let them, you know, grow themselves here in, in this environment and they get to do a lot. And they have ownership in the program and 
So when they get a job, they've already done it all. And, and that's what really helped me here at, at Boise State. Well, you talked about, you know, Coach Few, uh, as he was becoming more solidified and comfortable as a head coach and you were growing your philosophy and as assistant um, to, to be ready for your opportunity. You talked about that. When I look at your staff, you've got a dynamite staff. I mean, you've got three guys um, that are, have been head coaches, two of them at the Division I level, uh, and Coach Durier, who was at Utah State, and Coach Burns, who was at Eastern Washington and short stint at Pacific, uh, and then R.J. Barsh, who was a tremendous head coach at the NAIA level. Talk yeah. about those guys, because you mentioned something really unique to me that I overlooked um, preparing for our conversation in the fact that you, as well as those three, have junior college uh, experience. And from what I've learned in talking to a number of coaches, a junior college coach might be the most well-rounded of all because you have to wear so many hats. True, true. And that's, that was a great growth time for me is when I coached D2. D2 is similar that way back in, in the day when I was there. I, you know, I was assistant at Northern Colorado when it was Division Two. Boy, I had to do everything, and, and I learned everything. And same thing at junior college, man. You, you know, uh, you're doing everything. I remember, you know, uh, we Coach Few Gonzaga signed my point guard, Quentin Hall, and Mark would call me and check on Quentin. He's like, well, how's his individual work going? I'm like, individual work? I got to go do the laundry and sweep the floor. And <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was – you do. You learn how to do everything, and – that's the neat thing about my staff, too, is I, every one of them has been a head coach. Everyone has been a junior college coach. And so we've kind of came up through the ranks and we're kind of we, – we've got that blue-collar mentality that we want with our players. And so we can, you know, we can preach it. We can talk about it. We can – you know, we're examples of that. And uh, so – but to have guys that have been head coaches, you know, one of, one of the things, Coach Barsh, that struck me um, – when I was brought him out on his interview that he said that really, really is important to have as an assistant. You know, when you're assistant, you have all these great ideas and you can make 56 different suggestions in every turn. And, and he said something, he said, you know, I'll only suggest stuff that I would have been willing to do. And I'm like, well, that, that's a great point because as a head coach, you don't want 20 voices in here with, 58 different ideas you want you want tangible things that you can move forward on and and you know when you got guys that have been head coaches they understand that they they, they understand that they can't give you 500 ideas and and everybody's a different voice in your ear and you know it's it's just it's hard to sort through that as a head coach so that you know guys that have been in that chair understand that and and that's something that you can't really understand until you've been a head coach so there's a value to that 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 I've got guys that have had that experience that's something that I've, I've never heard in that way where as the head coach um you're kind of taking different bits and pieces but you're the one who has to you know sift through it and sort it out and, and be the one who makes the final decision for your program and that that goes with recruits that goes with uh, playing time that goes with the you know the assistance that you bring on want to give a brief moment to talk about our newest sponsor eBay. Whether rare, dead stock, or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's 
authenticity guarantee your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators a team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box logo stitching and dozens of other inspection points each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity and it also protects sellers with a verified return process. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers over $100, making it free to sell or flip your collection. Go to ebay.com sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. When you make that transition from assistant coach, making those suggestions now to being a head coach, how do you find your voice as a head coach? Because I can only imagine uh, that that's difficult because you've been one that's always been putting ideas out there and then letting the head coach accept the blame or accept the, the praise when, when good or bad happens. How do you find that voice as a coach, as a head coach? Well, you know, I think number one, one of the, you know, people always ask me about Mark because I was with Coach Few for 11 years and, you know, we're best friends. And um, so everybody wants to know what his magic is. And, and I said, no, I said, maybe the number one thing, it starts with authenticity. You can't be, you know, there's some coaches, they watch these other coaches and they try to just become those, that, that's how they're going to be. You just have to be authentic to who you really are and what your voice really is. And if you, if you, you know, if you go away from that, you're not going to be very successful and people are going to see right through it. And it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. It's too hard to do, but if you're authentic and you really, really put your beliefs out there and what you're about, I think it, number one, it's going to, it's going to be easy for you to guide your decision-making. And that's why having your, you know, the, the longer I've been a head coach, the more I've been able to, you know, kind of put into writing things that I'm about and I want my program to be about. And, you know, we put together a culture book that we kind of live by and, and it can be my guide when, when anytime I'm, you know, confused on a decision or, or having to mull over a decision, I can go to my culture book and I can kind of like, okay, what are we really about? What am I really about? What do I want it to look like? And it really, really helps me with my decision-making process. But you know, that sometimes doesn't come overnight. You can't just like, okay, I'm at this date in my coaching career. I know everything I want, you know, trial and error. Like you said, it, it you know, this worked, this didn't work. I like this. This is what I want to really have our program be about. And, and when you get to that place, I think, you know, you're a lot better. And, you know, that being said, I'm a heck of a lot better coach. I think after 10 years of being at Boise state than I was the day I took the job and, you know, you just, you just keep getting better with that experience and, and you get, but you gotta have a, you gotta have that hunger that you want to, to learn and to get better and to keep evolving. And, you know, I think I'm in a place right now because of this situation that we're in nationally where we, we really got sequestered for a long time and almost became a sabbatical where I was able to kind of pull some things apart from my program, look at them, kind of reevaluate them, reevaluate some of the things I do. And, and again, I'm, I'm almost got like a huge second wind where I'm excited. I feel like I could coach the 
you know, 40 more years. It's uh, in that way, I took advantage of it. I think I'm, you know, and, and as a coach, you don't really get that. You don't get those long periods of, of reflection and off time. And you're always on to the next thing, recruiting, whatever it might be. And so I, I think I really took advantage of this. And, and that's got me so excited to get back and, and get with this team. That is so true with this quarantine uh, for a number yeah. of coaches and different people that I've talked to for, for our podcast series, you know, it's given them a chance to reflect on, you know, their career arc, um, things that they want to improve on when they're able to get back to, to the court and, and coaching their programs or, or what an endeavor they are in. Um, but you talked about kind of, uh, you know, finding your voice. We, we had touched about that, but how do you find your eye in recruiting and, and evaluating? Cause you go from an assistant where you, you kind of cast a big net, but then as the head coach now um, you have to have something tangible that you look at. For me, if I was a, a coach, um, the values I would place would probably be on shooting because that was probably my best skill set. Um, but as a head coach who's trying to build um, their players into a system, you have to be able to pick and choose different guys that fit. For Leon Rice, and I know you can't talk about individual players that you're recruiting, but when you go out recruiting, what are the biggest things that you, as the head coach of Boise State, look, look at when you're looking at players? Well, we have a thing here at Boise, and I stole it from the football program and Coach Pete and back in the day, and it's called OKGs, our kind of guys. And, you know, the thing I've learned – through mistakes and through experience is that that's what's going to work here. And that's what, you know, works uh, at the highest level instead of, you know, just, Oh, let me just get the most talented kids I can get and go from there. No, we got to get our kind of guys that fit our culture that, that have the, the, the skill set and the, and the character and the, the things that are important here, the work ethic and, and all the, you know, the blue collar mentality, all those things that, that, re that are required here, I have to get those. And the times I've, you know, I mean, we've got stories in our recruiting past where we were like, okay, let's take that kid because he's just, he seems more talented. And we went away from an OKG and, and it completely backfired. And, you know, we've all got those recruiting misses, but it's how you learn from them and, and how you can go on afterwards uh, and adjust your recruiting that, that helps you. And, you know, that, that's the other thing in the experience of recruiting is I've seen kids, you know, I can go back and reference, oh, that was what well, Keith Van Horn looked like that when he was in high school. And that's how he wound up. Okay, this James Webb, Chandler Hutchinson looked like that in high school. Here's where he ended up. And, and you know, th those kind of things really really help you evaluate like you can say oh that kid reminds me of so the more you've done that the more you know the more you can adjust now and go oh wow I missed on I missed on Keith Van Horn because I thought he was too skinny well you know on and on and on there, there's stories like that over and over and over again but you find out what those bottom lines were you find out what uh, uh what mistakes you made maybe and and you adjust your recruiting that way and again but it goes back to getting okgs you got you know if when we do that those are the guys who have been successful i love that okgs uh that that's a phenomenal little acronym for uh, recruiting and, and putting it into your philosophy and the system that you play to 
Uh, and you talked about recruiting misses and recruiting evaluations. You might have had one of the greatest recruiting grand slams to steal a baseball term in all of college basketball. And this goes back to your time at Gonzaga. You were at the forefront of Adam Morrison and, and pinpointing him as somebody that you thought could have a tremendous career at the college level. Tell us about your first experience watching Adam and then the experience of Adam Morrison, National Player of the Year at yeah. GU, because that was incredible. Uh, well, it was. It really was. But, again, it went back to our kind of guys. And the first thing that we liked about him was he had a magic ball that went in. He always had that. And he was a goofy kind of uncoordinated uh, – you know, player, but uh, that ball went in. Um, so, you know, that was the first thing we saw is that there was a, a magic ball that went in. Uh, hold on one second. There we go. And so we saw him play and, you know, he'd come down and play with our guys and you're like, oh, that, you know, he, he doesn't some, you know, physically wasn't ready. And, and he was kind of, like I said, he was kind of almost looked a little clumsy, but in the end, uh, that scoring ability was always there in, in different ways. And so, you know, I remember sending Mark down to one of his games and I'm like, well, how's he playing? Mark was like, ah, you know, he's okay. And then, oh, somebody handed him a stat sheet and he goes, oh, he's got like 28. And I'm like, what quarter is it? He goes, it's halftime. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> there you go. So, yeah, he's more than okay. But he always had that ability. And that's what made him so special is that ability to score. Then you go back to it. He had all those love, you know, those OKG things that, that I'm talking about with love for the game. Uh, you know, never underestimate that. And again, it goes back to your story. I learned a lot from your story. And putting a guy that has love for the game, that wants to work in the right system, the, the amazing things can happen. And, you know, you were maybe in the wrong system for you at the, at the start. But when you got in the right system, you, you got that ability to grow and that ability to get your hard work paying off and got your love for the game back. I mean, never underestimate the love for the game. That's what I always say to our guys in, in recruiting. That's a hard thing to measure in recruiting because every kid says, oh, I love to play basketball. I love it. I love it. You know, to find the ones that just live for it and, and that don't, you know, that don't. We, you look along the lines of all those guys, a bunch of guys that we had at Gonzaga, a bunch of guys we had here, the ones that just would be happy to be in the gym, like Derek Ravio. I mean, you took a ball, you took his ball away, and I think he might have started crying. He, just, <laughs> like, he loved the game. And, and there's a long list of guys like that. But Adam had that. He was a competitive animal, and he was a coach's kid. and he, So he had all those things uh, that, that we value. He had those. And we saw that in him and we didn't, you know, luck, you know, the great thing about him is he grew some after college, he got stronger. Um, but we did see that scoring ability in him from day one. Yeah, it was a tremendous story. I, I, I've heard that from different sources, different people uh, here in Spokane that, you know, he always had that it factor, but you couldn't quite put your finger on it. But you and, and Coach Few and the staff, uh, put your finger on it early, got him to commit, hoping that he could be a good college player. He ended up becoming a historical college player. And that's a, yeah. a great story. Yeah, and when we recruited him, it was under the, you know, like we said, well, let's, maybe I'll come. I, I said, we just got to get him in our program. We just, we'll figure it out later. Let's just get him in our program. And 
you know, at first we were thinking, well, maybe we could gray shirt him because, you know, he's just learning how to deal with this diabetes and this and that. We'll gray shirt him and then, you know, see what happens. And then, you know, well, he comes in, he starts his freshman year and scores double figures. I don't know if he started every game, but he scored double figures in every game but one. Uh, as a freshman and so much for gray shirt. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess that shows that coaches don't have all the answers. They have most of the answers. And I think yeah. that's one of the things that's great about a coach like yourself is you, you shared with me before that you didn't have the answers and you went back and figured it out to prepare your team for the next opportunity. Right. Right. And that, and that's, that's the key is, is you just got to keep, keep fighting, keep, uh, you know, keep learning, keep, Figure, trying to figure out the best you can. And then when you get back, you know, you do become better at it because like I said, experience, you see a guy like Adam, you're like, okay, he checked all those boxes. Well, now I have actual boxes that I check on a kid. Like, and a lot of it comes from those things. Like, okay, does he love the game? Does he, has he got skill? Does he have a feel for the game? Does he want to work? Does his family understand the commitment that it takes to become that player? You know, and, and, that he, that he thinks he can. And if there's a big gap in any of those things between who he really is and who they think he is or who he thinks he is, then it doesn't work. You know, you need to, you know, we had a, we had, we do a player eval sheet where they self-evaluate and I had a player, uh, you know, we rate each other one through 15. And so you can kind of see where you think you are and where you maybe really are. And I had a player come in one time and he rated himself number one. Well, the whole program rated him number 12 and he was a freshman and he was, and I brought him in. I said, Hey, you know, I just want to know why you rated yourself number one, because the consensus is you're about the 12th best player right now. He said, coach, I, I'm, I'm not number one right now. He goes, but I'm going to work to be the best player in this program. And I said, okay, no problem. As long as you understand where you really are and what you have to do to get to to that place you want to get to, then, then, then you can do it. But when there's a gap of, no, I'm number one, I'm already the best. And if he would have came in and said, told me that, then he probably would have had a big problem. And, and we would have probably had a problem educating him on where, what he needs to do to get there. I think that that gap is the key to a lot of people's success. Phenomenal story there about, you know, self-reflection by a player and you understanding that that was his drive to get there as opposed to just his ego saying I'm already there and and, and I you know I don't think he'd mind me telling the story it was Ryan Watkins he became an all-mountain west player and became one of the best players on our team on a great team and and a crowd favorite and, but it, but it, I've never you know at that point I've never seen a big guy work as hard as him and you know he's still playing professionally because of that work ethic and because of all that, that he had to do to get where he is. In your time at Boise State, you've coached a number of, of tremendous players, tremendous people, but you're also in a unique setting because you're coaching a family member. You're coaching a son, yeah. Max. Um, he redshirted his first year. Uh, as a freshman this past year, he was able to earn some minutes and, and earn your trust. How is it coaching your son? Well, you know, there's definitely challenges. But, you know, one of the things we always have said with these kids growing up, I have three boys, and I've already – we've always said POJ, part of the job. You know, and what I mean by that is I, Max played in three state championships, and I didn't get to go to one of them. And I, you know, I said, hey, that's just part of the job. There's good things that come with it, and there's tough things that come with it. Same with coaching them. 
there's great things that come with it. You know, I'm getting extra time with him now and all this and that. But, you know, there's also challenges that you have to face being a coach's kid. And, and, the, and the, when you really look at it this year, I probably underplayed him a little bit. And part of that was just being a freshman and I had a lot of seniors that had fought their way, you know, to be where they are. And so I kind of erred on the side with them a little bit. Um, but he deserved more minutes. He played, you know, he sparked us a bunch of times. He has a great feel. He can make shots and, and, he, and he cares about, the most important thing about him is he cares about one thing, winning. There's a great story. We had this, um, the most remarkable comeback against Utah State. And I kind of, you know, we're down 18 with four and a half minutes to go. And I kind of emptied the bench a little bit. Alston was out. Jessup was out. All these guys were out. And it was Max and Ray J, some of my freshmen that brought us back. And this is crazy comeback. And we tie it up and go into overtime without Alston. Alston's sitting there on the bench. And so I'm one, Max has watched me coach for a long time. I'm one like, yeah, I'm not going to tamper with this lineup. This is the lineup that brought, brought us back. And Max pulled me aside and said, hey, put Austin back in. And I'm like looking around like, this crowd's going to boo me if I take out the guys that had to come back. And, he, and Max grabbed me and said, put Austin in for me. And I'm like, wow. So I put Derek back in. He, you know, he went and scored the first six points of overtime. We got the lead and never looked back. And then Derek fouled out. I put Max back in. But the bottom line was all he cared about was winning. He didn't care about being, you know, he didn't. And had, he, had I had a selfish team out there or a selfish kid, I might not have put Alston back in because that kid deserved to be out there. And, um, you know, because he said that and because he kind of woke me to that, I was like, yeah. And it was the great, great, you know, great coaching move done by him, you know. Yeah. And so it, it, that's that when you have guys that just care about winning and put the team's interest first, I mean, that's, you know, that was one of the most unselfish things I've seen is like, Hey, take me out of this great comeback and my best I've played, you know, so far. And I helped this team to take himself out of that and put Derek back in. I mean, that, that, that shows you what he's about and it's about winning. And when you got guys that are just about that, boy, it, it's powerful. That's a, a definitely a selfless example about, prioritizing winning and as a college coach winning tends to be the number one thing on your mind and on your plate during the season and this leads me to the last question before I let you go and we appreciate your time um is what does Leon Rice do to unwind during a long season well you know I'm a big dog lover as as you know and <laughs> so I spend a lot of time with dogs and I've had two of them. I'm back down to one and a half right now. Uh, my son has a dog that seems to be my dog, too. Um, you know, uh, we got Stella, and she comes to practice every day and hangs with the players and kind of a therapy dog. So I do that. I work out, play lots of sports, bike ride, you know, physical activity. And, you know, uh, just like to get outside and, and get time to think on things like that, you know, where, where – where you just get time away from your phone, away from, you know, maybe a mountain bike ride, maybe go play tennis, go, you know, I've, I've taken up golf a little bit in this uh, new COVID restrictions. And every year I say I'm going to do that. Now I've done it a little bit, but my golf game's kind of hopeless. So I don't know if I'm going to continue that, but uh, uh, I've had a lot of fun with that, but you know, th th those kind of things and, and just getting some family time and, 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 
that, that's how we kind of unwind. But, you know, then, you know, we spend a lot of time with the Fuse. Usually we go on vacation with them and, uh, you know, we'll go up to Hayden Lake where they just built a new, uh, I can't call it a cabin. I'm calling it a complex. I don't know what, <laughs> it, uh, but we're excited. We're going to spend some time with them at the lake and, and, you know, Mark and I always bounce things off each other. And when you have that great group of friends that, that are in our profession, which I do with Mark and Ted and Dan and all these guys that I've kind of came up the ranks with, they're great guys that you can bounce ideas off with and kind of get yourself back to your, to your spots that you need to be mentally. And uh, so that's always been really helpful. Uh, but that's kind of about it. It's pretty simple, Dan. Awesome. Well, uh, really appreciate your time. Uh, not just because you're a friend of mine, but I wish you the best of luck because uh, anytime I've been to around the Boise State program, I've always found your players to be refreshing. They've been approachable. They, they uh, do things the right way. And I think that's a reflection of, of your program and yourself. So we appreciate you joining the ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports and look forward to catching up in the near future. Well, you know, we feel like there's great days ahead and, and, I mean, with the, you know, it takes a long time to build a program. You look at all the work that Mark put in. He's been there 30 plus years and I've been here 10, you know, and then it, it, you just feel like when you're fortunate enough to be in a place where you have continuity, you can continue to build it and continue to build it. And we think we're about to take another big, big step and can't, can't wait to get back on the floor with these guys and, and do that. Awesome. Thanks again, Leon. Have a great day. All right. Thanks, Dan. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.